We have to be true to ourselves because that is the only way that we can be true to anybody else. There's a passage in Shakespeare, it's in Hamlet, and it's kind of a throwaway line, but Polonius is talking to his son and his friend. He says, you know, uh, above all else, make sure you're true to yourself because if you're true to yourself, then you can't be false to any other person, basically, is the, the, the paraphrased version of it. And you know, that is so absolutely true. We have to make sure that we know that we are the engine that runs all the good stuff in our lives. And if we, if we understand that, then a lot of the other decisions that we need to make to look after ourselves make sense. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, just finished a very interesting conversation with Dr. Gantz Ferentz. Now, Dr. Gantz is a registered psychologist and he has his brand new book, The Me Factor, and why it's important that we take care of self. And not from a self-centered point of view, but from a self-honoring point of view. And one of the windows as a registered psychologist that he talks about in our show is just how important it is to maintain and manage our stress levels and make sure that we don't reach this burnout. I mean, the numbers are significant as far as the percentage of individuals where we're not taking care of ourselves. So as a recommendation for CRG being the sponsor of this show, is we've just recently revised our stress indicator and health planner. It has 120 questions. It is our longest assessment, but it is in five different categories. So my encouragement for yourself, this is something that you can take every year, really as a benchmarking tool. And if you have an organization and you want to manage the health and wellness of the individuals, you know, Dr. Gantz talks about it in the show is that there's no way we can be productive, efficient, even civil, if we are stressed and he talks about the seven different categories and his step by step process as we get closer to the end of the show. So my encouragement is, is that you consider the stress indicator and health planner as assessment to benchmark your condition, where you're at, what's possible, and then take some steps so that you can increase your wellness and decrease your stress. As always, thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on. Let everybody else know about it. Uh, leave a positive comment in whatever platform and rating in whatever platform you are listening on. So thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success. Here's our guest, Dr. Gantz Ferentz. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, when we think about somebody we're going to hang around with for the rest of our lives, who? what's the answer? Well, the answer is me. And we even have an expert on the show today called the, and has written a book called The Me Factor. So we'll find out what that is here in a minute. But first of all, help me. And let's welcome to the show, Dr. Gantz Ferentz. Dr. Hey. Gantz? How's it going, Ken? Uh, very good. And I tried really hard to say your name correctly, so hopefully I got and it. you nailed it. It's awesome. I nailed it. Well, of course. <laughs> hey, and us dyslexic people, we like to have these little victories in life. There you go. So thanks for hanging out with us, uh, Dr. Gantz. And when we think about, you know, the SOS listeners and where we want to do, we like to have your story. You know, where, what did you... I mean, you've written for Psychology Today, and you work for some Fortune 500 companies as a consultant and advisor. But before that, you know, we all have a journey. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Gantz, when we think about where were you born, and just what's your sort of your history of growing up? 
Okay. So I was actually born in the island of Antigua in the Caribbean. And you're uh, living in Edmonton now? Hey, I know, like, right? what is wrong with you? Everybody asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I had no choice in the matter. I was two or three when my parents brought me here. So I was like, you know, uh, so yeah, and I grew up in Edmonton and um, yeah, lived here most of my life. Um, uh, I went. I I'm, my... so sor- I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gads. I am. I'm. I'm just actually. I'm feeling. My empathy level is significant for you. Me grow up in a Caribbean island or Edmonton. Hey, let me think. Hey, nothing against Edmonton. My wife was born there. Uh, there I you just go. Think, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well, the weather. The weather's quite a bit different for sure. But hey, listen. There's some good things about this. Good things about being down in the Caribbean as well. But you know, it's. Um, you know, in the middle of January, I'm I'm dreaming of the 365 white sand beaches in Antigua, and yeah, I'm, I'm missing it. So, mm-hmm. fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. So at two, you're yeah. now transplanted into Canada from the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, what was your growing up years like? Well, it was in some ways it was it was fun. I mean, my parents did their best, right? They were, they came up here. They were like most new immigrants, right? They were trying to figure out how everything worked and you know how to um, get moving and stuff. Um, at the time, there was um, probably about two hundred thousand people in Edmonton at the time. Now we're about one point one million in the, in the city, and so being a person of color, being a black person from the Caribbean, there weren't a lot of us. Um, and so I grew up, I went to school and there was, um, you know, I was the novelty, right? Cause people, most of the kids had never seen another person like me before. So my hair was different. You know, I probably had a bit of an accent at that point. And so on one hand it was cool being, you know, getting some of that attention, but not all the attention was always good. Mm. And so I had to deal with that. And, you know, so I grew up in Edmonton here and then as I got older dealt with, you know, difficult times in school. And then, you know, my parents split up when I was about seven or eight and mm. um, dealing with, dealing That's with a, kind of what is, I saw. That is huge. Just, mm-hmm. you know, change countries. Mm-hmm. And then for the two of them to then have to separate after that, that would have yeah. been really destroying just not only culture and the connections and the family connections, but that must have been emotionally hard for everybody. It was hard. It was hard for all of us that were here. And also, I think our situation was a little different because they kind of separated, but, you know, and, you know, maybe some other folks have gone through this too, but when you don't have a full breaking of all the all the connections so they lived in the same city they weren't fully separated like in terms of like financially or emotionally and so it kind of this back and forth not a very clearly defined situation which i think for a kid of seven or eight or ten or fifteen can be quite confusing right my father who's passed away now he had quite a few rage issues i actually think he was more like a a dry alcoholic um there's a lot of alcoholism in his family he never actually drank but i think he had um you know being a psychologist i recognize after the fact a lot of those symptoms and those uh kind of the part of the syndrome just without the alcohol mm. um so grew up now, in what a was the main really reason? dysfunctional situation sorry to well and of course i joke mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Gantz about now sorry SOS listeners you've heard this story before where there was this there was this image of this stadium that holds 60,000 people imagine that Gantz and it said uh, the conference of normal uh, people and then there were two cars in the middle of the arena and the the rest of it was empty 
and they said these two people are in denial. Like who <laughs> who isn't who isn't dysfunctional, right? So <laughs> so so that I mean when we think about it now, what was the main precipice to cause your your parents to want to move? from the Caribbean to Edmonton. What was driving that decision? So, yeah, so my dad actually got a scholarship to go to the University of Alberta in Edmonton to work on his master's degree. And um, so that, that was the main thing. Uh, so he mm. came up here, started going to school, and um, brought the family up. And so all of us came up, and then we just kind of stayed because there were opportunities and different things like that. Mm -hmm. okay. So. Very good. So then when you think about this traumatic event when you were seven about separation, how, how did that affect you at that time then? Well, it was really weird because there was a lot of conflict in the home leading up to that, uh, like most homes, right? And when they actually split up, it was hard. And I remember I used to take the, I'd, I'd stay with my mom and then I'd, I'd take the bus to school. And then after school, I'd, sometimes I'd sneak and I'd take the bus back to my dad's place and hang out with him. And then he'd have to drive me home in the evening to my mom's place. And that went on for, for quite some time. And so, you know, clearly I missed both of them and I wanted to be with both of them. But mm -hmm. at the same time, not having the tension, not having the yelling, not having the anger was also quite restful and relaxing, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and I, I know when I work with, with families now, it is a hard decision for couples if they're not getting along to figure out, especially if they have kids, if they want to stay together or they want to separate. But, you know, I like I do really want them to think about, well, you know, what is the kid seeing and experiencing in the home? Because sometimes if you're separated and you can have a decent relationship just not living together, that in many ways is a lot better for the child than to be together, but always have this constant fear of conflict. Mm -hmm. So now seven, eight, what were sort of your high school years like? So... <laughs> Uh, so the, the the situation got lots more uh, intense with the parents, and I had the opportunity to go away to boarding school when I was about 15. I was grade 11 at the time, and I, I jumped at it because I, again, even though they were separated and there wasn't the constant daily bickering, there was still a lot. And so getting away was, for me, a lifesaver, a bit of a salvation to be able to mm. be away and be on my own at 15. And again, not all rainbows and unicorns at the boarding school either, because again, one of like three black people on campus at the time, but it was still good. It was still better than being at home, and I enjoyed that. And so it was, it was a bit of a break until I mm. had to go back home. When did, uh, where was board, boarding school for you? It was in a place called Lacombe, Alberta. So I actually even know where that is. Oh, so. do you? <laughs> well, South Edmonton, anyway. Yeah, South Edmonton, just before with Red Deer, and um, yeah, in between Edmonton and Calgary. So yeah, that's where I was, and I was there for for three years because they had uh, they had a high school and they also had a college. So I was there for I did uh, two years of high school and one year of college there. Okay, so now you have you're removed from your parents. Their leadership really is less than stellar as far as just this emotional development what what were you going through as a late teen and, and where where did you reach out to to find affinity or connections well you know i was really fortunate even in junior high i had some very positive teachers which i was very fortunate to have so uh, i connected with a couple solid teachers I, you know not all of them were good 
right? Uh, I got bullied by my grade one, two, and four teacher, which is the same person, but you know she was quite awful. But uh, I did have a couple that were really good. And then when I went to high school, I really connected with the counselor that was there, uh, and we actually it was interesting because she started this this peer counseling. I guess program with the with the kids, and I was one of the people that wanted to jump into that. I, I I was always fascinated by psychology, always fascinated by how we worked in relationships, and I think partly to figure out what hell was going on with my own family, but also mm-hmm. figuring out what else was possible instead of repeating the pattern. Right? I didn't want to repeat the pattern in my own life, so really wanted to figure that out. But uh, I remember her name was Miss Weeb. And uh, so we, uh, I, I connected with her, and I think that was a big chunk of a big, big factor in what helped me to survive my high school years and come out, I think, pretty well on the other end of that. Well, we'll find out in the next few minutes. Then. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, hopefully, you have a sense of humor. Otherwise, we're done here. We're done here. <laughs> SOS listeners, hey, we need to have some fun and encouragement as you listen to this show. And when you think about my mind was just kind of racing here with a couple of uh, comments, uh, Gantz, as far as the impact, even at our younger years, that a single relationship can have, both positive and negative. So, you know, my grade nine teacher said I would never amount to anything. It was my English teacher because I couldn't read or write. It was discovered I was dyslexic when I did my master's degree. And then you have the opposite side where you have your Mrs. Weeb, who just said, you know, I'm, I'm just going to embrace this young boy and encourage him and the difference that it makes. And I think that for all of us is that our interactions with others are always making an impact. But what is it? Is it positive? Is it neutral? Or is it negative? And so I think it's just an anchor point that we are always making a difference in somebody's life. Is it positive or is it negative? Uh, absolutely. You know, and when we can be, like you just said, Ken, when we can be mindful of that, we can be much more deliberate in, in how we come across. Uh, you know, at, at the very least, we want to be neutral, right? We won't, don't want to get in anybody's way. But, you know, when we have the opportunity to be positive, we, we never know how positive we can be. I remember I, mm-hmm. I ran into... Um, this guy I went to uh, junior high with, and I was at a restaurant with my girlfriend at the time, and he he was a server, and his name was Randy, and that's it's like you know he was actually a year a year ahead of me, right? So he was a year older or a year and a half older or whatever. And um, so anyway, we were talking, just kind of catching up and stuff like that, and and you know so we did the thing, finished the meal, and you know I paid and we're on his way out, and he came up to me after and he said, you know, Gans, I, I just want to tell you, you were one of the people who was really nice to me in junior high, and I really appreciate that. It meant a lot, and it's like really, and I, you know, it was it was really weird because he was a year old and I had all this respect for for him, but I know he used to get picked on quite a bit, right? Because he was, you know, mm-hmm. from a different kind of family. His dad was a little different and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. uh, But I never, like, I just treated him like another person because I was also getting you know, picked on quite a bit mm-hmm. at that time in my life. And so I was like, you know, hey, he's another person. I don't want to treat anybody bad. But for me, the experience, I didn't remember doing anything out of the ordinary. I didn't remember going out of my way to be especially nice to him or, you know, and nothing, nothing that I could really think of. But clearly, just my treating him like another fellow human being had a really significant Mm -hmm. impact on him at that time because there was lots of treatment that wasn't like that, you know. So Mm -hmm. we never really know 
the impact we're going to have with people just you know just by our everyday interactions right so i totally agree with you yeah for sure great so high school finished and then you said you had to go back home yeah after the boarding school experience so what happened then well that was a really interesting experience because i went to university of alberta and so i went to live with my dad i figured you know okay i was uh how old was i was about 18 and 19 at the time i figured okay i've been on my own this is gonna be fine you know it wasn't fine <laughs> um, he he was very you know even more controlling and i think somewhat angry with me for some reason what i remember is that we had almost like a competitive relationship I, not so much on my side but more on his side and if he didn't get his way he would often just threaten to like abandon me and just like he'd go away and, and i'd never know where he was he said that to me several times and so it was very 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 stressful time in my life the first two or three years of university because we were in constant conflict and uh, finally i ended up saying you know what i can't live with you anymore and which was extremely hard for me ken because this was he had he'd always talked about my mom leaving him and how hurtful that was and he was always expecting me to leave or threatening that you know saying yeah you're gonna leave me just like your mom right and so a lot of emotional blackmail a lot of guilt around that right so it was a very very hard decision for me to think about moving out which really that's kind of what would be happening at that stage of life anyway. But because of the conflict, it was really hard for me. And then, and then uh, on top of that, I had no financial way of doing that typically because he kept really tight rein on all of that stuff because he wanted to keep control. I remember it was my girlfriend at the time before I moved out that helped me open my first bank account. I was like, I think I was 19, I was almost 20. I didn't even know how to do that because there was so much control that he had kept mm -hmm. on me and the rest of the family around finances and I think really was, you know, out of his fear and really, you know, w wanting to have some sense of control over his life and, you know, he figured the best way to do that was to control everybody around him. Mm. So you moved out. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you hadn't finished university yet. No. So how did you manage that or pull that off to continue to go to school? <laughs> Lots of student loans. <laughs> and you know uh lots of student loans and i was very fortunate um my older sister and her husband were were willing to take me in and let me live in their basement for a little while while i figured out how to how to get that done so uh, i was very very fortunate to have them and for them to let me live there well and obviously your sister knew the dynamics that were going on as well yeah yeah and, and it was really it was really interesting right because you know talking to all of my siblings everybody sort of had though everybody knew the deal but also had a unique experience right um so everybody you know there there it wasn't a consistent experience for all of us but we we all had we all knew something wasn't right you know mm. Well, and when you're younger, you're just, hey, you know it's not right, but you're not old enough to really understand the dynamics of it. Absolutely. Nor should no you have to be at eight years old, excuse <laughs> right. me. Right. We have no frame of reference, right? All you know is what you grew up with, so that just seems normal. Now, how come you didn't get your registered psychology degree uh, when you were eight? Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> exactly. That <laughs> <laughs> so was part of that. Okay, so w when you think about the character traits that the listeners can benefit from at that time, what kind of courage did it take to kind of step out? And Oof. I suspect there are people who are listening to the show right now where you are, you are faced with a difficult decision, uh -huh. a decision that 
creates consternation. What would you say to them and what you went through to be able to step out of that sort of control environment and then be free? Yeah, yeah. So it was it was like a mixture of control and well, it was con- guilt was a big part of it too, but the guilt was part of the control, right? For me, it was partially self-preservation. Like I really felt I felt this a couple times in my life, but that was probably the strongest I felt it that if I did not do something, I was going to break. I would, as it was, I would be at home by myself and I'd throw stuff around the house. I'd like, and no one was home. I would just be so frustrated and so angry and so hurt. I would be crying and yelling and throwing stuff around. And you know, this is like a 18, 19 year old man, right? And mm-hmm. um, it was, I, I looked at my behavior and I said, okay, well, this isn't good. Uh, this is not good for me. It's not good for anybody who's around me. Um, fortunately, I wasn't, as far as I know or remember, overtly abusive to people around me. But I, I knew that I could go there pretty easily. And so mm-hmm. I said, all right, I, I need to stop this. I need to be do something to look after myself because if I don't do this, then other innocent bystanders are going to have to pay the price for this. And mm-hmm. so that was one of the reasons that, that one of the motivations for me being able to make that decision um, was just survival and then also the protection and survival of people around me. But you were at least conscious and aware enough that if you continued down that path, it wasn't going to result yeah. in a good ending. Well, you know, and I think I really credit... By that time, I was also in the psychology program, so I was actually learning about human behavior and how our brain works and stress and that sort of thing. But I really credit the the good teachers, in particular Ms. Weeb and the folks that I had that supported me earlier on in life to be able to have the fortitude to be able to do that. Because again, that's that's a hard decision for people to make is is stepping out from what they know and 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 in a way you know, um, abandoning, at least that's the way I saw it at the time, mm-hmm. abandoning somebody that was family, their blood, and being able to do things to look after yourself, which I was always taught and I really felt at the time was would, would have been selfish to do, right? Looking after myself as opposed to thinking about how somebody else feels, as in this case, my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, even, the, even the language that we use where we said I'm abandoning them you're really not abandoning them you're abandoning the behavior you're abandoning the environment and it's not them it's the it's the behavior it's the environment it's all those things that are contributing to that situation so feel free to do it so university uh, comes to a close now you finished with your bachelor's degree in psychology or yes I did yeah psychology yeah so then what did you do after that well, uh, I wanted to go into medicine, uh, I thought, <laughs> at the time. Uh, actually, honestly, it was like I was sort of being lazy. I didn't want to do a PhD in psychology because I was afraid of all the writing that was involved. But, um, oh, I get so, that. Yeah. Yeah. But I ended up going into going into, to do a PhD anyway. I did a master's and then a PhD in, in psychology. And um, that was another opportunity for me to escape. So I actually went to the States, and I was in a place called Berrien Springs, Michigan, uh, for five years doing my master's and, and doctorate. Nobody's and, and ever heard of that place. Where is it? So Berrien Springs, <laughs> Michigan is about a quarter. Let's see. If you if you draw a line, not a line, but if you look at, I think it's I-95, it goes from Chicago to Detroit. And right. it was about a third of the way from Chicago to Detroit. Um, it's a, the lower southwest Michigan 
is mm. where it is, right by right by Lake Michigan. And the claim to fame is that Muhammad Ali retired there, so he had a farm there, and he was like sort of a big celebrity locally. The, the McDonald's had a little uh, display of his gloves and different things like that there. So it's a pretty cool, pretty cool little town. Mm. So, so you were buddies with him then. Oh yeah, if only. Yeah, <laughs> I did get to meet him one time, which was awesome. But I, that was after I that's it was after I had actually graduated. I went back for graduation, and um, he was he was in one of the bookstores. I actually hung out with him, talked with him, and he I have a picture of him holding my daughter. So that's awesome. Uh, I knew it. Now, how did you support yourself the whole time while you're doing school? So again, loans, and also I was working on campus. Uh, I had two couple jobs while I was there. I ended up running, probably within a year and a half, I was running this program called um, Freshman Seminar, and actually I became the director of Freshman Studies for that university while I was there, um, before I left, and just, just helping helping first-year students be able to manage the transition from high school to college, and giving them study skills, time management skills, um, ways to manage their social interactions so that they help them to be successful and be able to stay in stay in school and not have to go home within mm. the first year or two. Uh, oddly enough, my wife did that uh, at a university awesome. until just a few months ago where she's now retired. So I get that, and you're just maturing them, helping them to develop disciplines and skills to be successful. Yep. So now as a registered psychologist, and of course you've written this new book, The Me Factor, uh, which we want to talk about before we run out of time, uh, Gantz. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's always interesting, I believe, for the listeners is that we get a sense of, you know, everybody's journey is unique and we've all been through stuff. And for the most part, most of us make it through to the other side. We don't feel like it sometimes, like we're going to. Uh, but we all have these stories of victory, which are hopefully encouraging to other people. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's very true. In the middle of it, we don't always know, right? And we, we can somehow sometimes have fear and doubt and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it's mm -hmm. nice to know that the, there are folks who have gone before us and made it out to the other end, and the other end was okay. It was mm -hmm. kind of worth the struggle in many ways. Exactly. So your focus of your work is what now? So it is, it is actually around stress, um, stress and how it relates to individuals, but also how, uh, how it impacts uh, relationships. And that's relationships, whether in business or in your personal life. Mm. So take us through a little bit of the me factor and what was really the, the motivation to write this book. <laughs> so for me, and I talk about this, I think, in early on in the book, it's like I... I, despite all the you know ways of surviving that I talked about in, in terms of getting through, once I became a psychologist and I started working in the field, I still had a lot of the baggage from those early years and the, the childhood and the family stuff. And what happened was uh, I ended up burning myself out pretty badly, actually, um, one time or a couple times, actually. And the way for me to get back from burnout and prevent myself from burning out in the future was kind of the foundation of the me factor system that I came up with. And, this, and so honestly, I, I wrote, I, I came up with a system to help me survive my life. <laughs> and it was like this, this, uh, this protocol that I wrote down for myself that would help me do the things that I needed to do 
to stay balanced and stay healthy. Uh, help me to have better relationships with people around me. How do I have healthy boundaries? When I need to make decisions, how do I make sure I make decisions that are based on what is healthy and good long-term for me and everybody else involved, as opposed to just being swept away mm-hmm. by the guilt or the emotion or whatever it is, the, the unhealthy conditioning possibly of whatever that situation brings up for me. And so I, I have used this particular system in the lab of my life since, I don't know, 93, I think, is when I came up with this. And it has saved my butt a bunch of times. And, um, you know, it's helped me to, to get through. And what was interesting, Ken, is because, you know, this was early in my career as a psychologist. And as I started to, um, you know, see my clients and see what happens in relationships and individuals sometimes, I realized that about 95% of the people that I was seeing and the stuff they're dealing with had some connection with this like system that I had kind of drawn up for myself. And so I actually started using it in my work and realized, okay, I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we think about stress and of course we're author, I'm author of a stress assessment. Mm -hmm. And so when um, it, it affects a lot of us. So with that being said, what are some of these steps here? Because we have about 10 minutes left in our show. So yeah. we want to make sure that we at least cover these core steps so people can find out about it. And then also we'll make sure they can find out how to get in contact with you later. Yeah. So what yeah. are the core steps in the me book? Yeah. So you know, the, the idea, the first idea is this. Um, we have to be true to ourselves because that is the only way that we can be true to anybody else. There's a passage in Shakespeare, it's in Hamlet, and it's kind of a throwaway line, but Polonius is talking to his son and his friend. He says, you know, uh, above all else, make sure you're true to yourself because if you're true to yourself, then you can't be false to any other person, basically, is the, the, the paraphrased version of it. And, you know, that is so absolutely true we have to make sure that we know that we are the engine that runs all the good stuff in our lives. And if we, if we understand that, then a lot of the other decisions that we need to make to look after ourselves make sense. Um, and and it's, it's a little bit easier, at least intellectually then, to overcome some of the conditioning, whether it's from our families or from the environment or our culture that says like looking after yourself as being selfish. Um, because I've seen too many times and I've, I've, I've also lived it too many times where I have not looked after myself and then the poor innocent bystanders, they have to deal with all of my resentment and my frustration and all the uh, outcome of me being burnt out and trying to interact with people. So I think that's the, that's the first thing is recognizing that you have a responsibility as well as a right to look after yourself. What would be some examples of us not being true to ourselves then? Well, okay, so so one of the things that came up for me a lot is uh, I was always the go-to person in my family and with my friends and people come up and ask me, you know, to do stuff. And I, you know, I want to be kind. Um, I don't want it to support, but I was really, you know, an enabler, uh, probably, you know, a codependent. I know you're familiar with that term for Mm -hmm. sure. uh, People pleaser. And then what would happen is I would, I would say yes too much. And I would, I would run Mm -hmm. myself really, really thin. And then what would happen, the next person that said something or did something, they would get all of the frustration, 
all of the stuff, and it was usually the people who were closest to me because I'd mm -hmm. be kind and be uh, accommodating to like strangers, but you know, my wife or my kids or whatever, I wouldn't have the energy left to have any kind of patience or, you know, even sometimes compassion with them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that, to me, that was one of the most uh, striking things that I saw mm -hmm. is that I didn't want to treat the people that I loved in this horrible, horrible way, but I, I almost couldn't help it because I was so depleted and so empty by the time you know, I tried to interact with them that that's just what happened. Okay, great. Thank you. I, I couldn't agree more. So after being two to ourselves, what's next? Well, then you have to, you, I, I have a question I want people to ask themselves, and that is, you know, is this working for me? And that's that question is basically the idea of making conscious the fact that you have the right to choose. You have the right to choose to see if something is going to add to your energy supply or is it going to deplete you and if it adds to the energy supply great have fun go go hard with it right but if it doesn't then you have to really look at it now you can ask that about a pair of shoes you can ask that about a way of thinking you can ask that about a relationship or a, a way of reacting to certain situations but when you start to become conscious of how your life runs when you're not looking, <laughs> you can then start to make different decisions for yourself that is that is going to, um, that these decisions are going to help you feed that that mm -hmm. energy so that you don't deplete yourself and don't, you know, um, you know, kind of kill that the sounds, villagers. It sounds similar to Dr. Phil's question. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, you know, yeah, how's that working for you? Yeah, okay. yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly, you know. And, and it's then, interesting how many people are not conscious that they don't even really ask that question. Well, this is it. This is autopilot. It. Yeah, there, there's there are a lot of us, and I know I did that for years. Just kind of ran the program that was given to me, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's no real fulfillment, and you know, I <laughs> I joke with people when I do my um, like workshops and stuff. Right? I said, if you if you you know, be careful if you ask this question because what you're doing is you're fast you're fast tracking your midlife crisis, basically, right? You're waking up early and asking yourself why am I doing this and what is going to mm -hmm. work for me going forward. So, but it's a good question. It's a good question to keep asking yourself. But once so you have that figured out, sorry, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Nope, that was okay. the next question. What's next? <laughs> Okay, so the, the the next thing you want to do is once you once you figure that out, there's some basic things that you can do, and that's this is one of the reasons I had to put this system together because I was never taught these basic things, and um, what I've learned is many many people have not either been taught it or had a chance to think about it. But some basic things you do to look after yourself on a consistent basis that will help you be your best and help you perform your best, whether it's, you know, physical performance, athletic performance, um, performance in your business or at school or whatever, uh, as well as your health. And so uh, these, these are the, you know, what I call the seven me factors, seven areas you want to look at that are going to help you to, um, you know, fill fill that that tank so that you can do what you mm -hmm. need to do to keep keep yourself balanced. And you know, those areas are the first one is physical, right? You got to do some basic stuff. You got to sleep. You got to eat. You got to take care of yourself in that way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, then there's there's also emotional. You got to make sure you're are looking after your emotional needs. You got to feed yourself intellectually. There's a spiritual factor. Financial is one that we don't always think about it, but it's definitely something that's important. 
social who you're around and of course a sense of purpose right and if you're if you're looking after these seven areas on a consistent basis chances are quite good you're gonna have the energy and the fuel to be able to to, to feel positive and have the performance you want in all areas of your life mm-hmm so now do you go step by step with your clients through this process to help them sort of evaluate each area I, I, I do with my coaching clients, with my therapy clients that I've gone through in the past. It, it depends because I think sometimes with the therapy folks, they kind of want to want to go wherever, whatever, whatever is on fire for them at the time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they want to deal with whatever that thing is for them. And then we kind of get into these other aspects of, of, of the system as we go along. But for the, for the coaching folks, uh, they kind of know what's coming, right? They know this mm-hmm. is what... Um, they understand what the system is. They want they want to go through the system. So yes, I go through them with them on a step by step basis, so they can look at all those different aspects. Mm-hmm. So physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, financial, social, and then of course purpose. And that's you know written a book on purpose. And the SOS listeners, if they've been listening at all <laughs> over the last few months, they'll get that for sure. Yeah. So then, what when I if I look at these seven areas, then what do you get me to do? So once you do that, then you can, then you, first of all, you have the fuel, then you're feeding the, your inner self. And then you look at your priorities on the external, right? And the external priorities, including you, um, in the order, in the the order that I teach, there's you, then your partner and your spouse, your kids, then your extended family and friends, and then there's the work, your work and the rest of the world, right? And if you understand that that is the healthy, order of priorities you've now looked after yourself which is the, you know the me factor right the me factors then mm-hmm. it's a lot easier if you think about how happy and how calm you are when you know that you're feeding yourself in a healthy way i mean for the many of the listeners it's like if you come back from vacation and you're very well rested and you're well fed and you know the travel the, the you know all the planes were on time so you're not totally exhausted um you're probably going to be a better partner or spouse you know, mm-hmm. um, if your partner and spouse is doing the same thing, then you guys are going to be better parents. If you know your your family is in good shape, your kids are safe and they're healthy, it's easier to interact with the folks outside of your immediate family, and it's far better to be able to show up at work. You're going to be a better worker. You have more productivity, and so it's one of those things where you understand what the natural laws are and you work with them you actually start to benefit from uh, all the good stuff that you know uh, that you you've been building so instead of feeling depleted when you show up to work on Monday morning you're bouncing out of bed and you're feeling really energized and excited to go to work because now work becomes a natural expression of, of who you are or you ask yourself is this working for me and tweak your job or find a different job mm. Well, a lot of people, I mean, as you, as you know, both of us being entrepreneurs, is, it's pretty easy to get into this workaholism, in, certainly in North America, right? Yep, absolutely. So then how do I disconnect from that sort of obsession? If that's where I'm hooked into, so forget sort of dysfunctional relationships. I'm just yep. kind of stuck in this workaholism as, as a, you know, and there's a lot of people who are in leadership roles that are listening to this. How do you help your clients get disconnected from that obsession? Yeah, well, you know, go back to, you know, is this working for me not just in this moment, but is this working for me long term? Do I feel happy? But a, a lot of the folks that I work with, right, uh, particularly the entrepreneurs or the, the folks in the C-suite, right, um, leadership and management, they got this weird situation where 
everything if they put their life down on paper it looks good right they got they've they've made it to the corner office they've you know they've got the right house they feel their kids are in the right schools or they've done a bunch of stuff they got the car they want and they're still miserable and they're unhappy mm-hmm. and they don't understand why and and not only are they unhappy and feeling burnt out but they also now have guilt on top of that because everybody's telling us, you know, I don't, I, I wish I had your problems. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And and so what I, you know, ask them to to look at is like, you know, what first of all recognize that the playbook that you've been using may not have been yours. It may have just been the one you were given, right? It mm-hmm. may have just been the one that you inherited or were conditioned into, right? And so now it's time to really think about what it is that is important to you and this is why i jokingly and half jokingly say this is about you know fast forwarding your midlife crisis let's look at this stuff and see if it actually works for you so you've got all the stuff but is it yours is it stuff you actually want or is the stuff you thought you're supposed to want and once you once you figure that out then you can start looking at what you're getting and what you're not getting and and towards the like part of my system and, and this is the last chapter in the book and this is what sort of the whole book is building towards, I have what I call a decision matrix. And it's a, it's a way to put numbers to all the things that we have in our lives or decision we, decisions we want to make and see if they, based on the system that I lay out, do these things actually work for us? Do they actually give us what we think we're getting or do they actually mm-hmm. deplete us? And when you actually start to do, when people, <laughs> it's amazing when people actually start to go through this little exercise at the end and put some numbers to things, it's like, oh, well, no wonder I'm unhappy or no wonder I don't feel as happy as I want to be or feeling you know, pissed off some of the time or most of the time. or, And it, it becomes very, very clear to them. So when you think about a lot of people's sort of irritability, do you believe that that is linked to burnout and stress? I do. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be necessarily full-fledged burnout. It could just be early stage deplete, depletion, right? Um, but yeah, I think 100% that this is, it's based on our, how well are we at looking after ourselves? How, how good are we at doing that? And if we haven't been doing that or haven't been taught how to do that, it's very easy for us to be irritable and frustrated and, you know, um, unhappy and unhealthy around ourselves, but also the people that are in our mm-hmm. lives. Well, can you believe it, Dr. Gantz? We're already running out of time. And so and we're <laughs> just, just flies kind of, by, hey? It just does. And, hey, well, there we go. We talk about ourselves. But it's good. I mean, part of what we want, SOS listeners, is for you to get to know our guests in their hearts and their journey and where they came from. So, first of all, how can they find out more about you and your book? Uh, the easiest way is my website. It's, it's askdrgans.com ask d-r-g-a-n-z or g-a-n-z if you're in the states um, dot com okay and then you also said that you would uh, and we'll put this in the show notes but you're going to have a gift for the listeners today yes actually it's so before i wrote the book um, to make sure that I remembered the system that I you know kind of pulled me out of burnout and helped me sort of stay away from it uh, I made this uh, audio recording of the system right of the me factor system and so it's sort of a 
uh, a preview or a, a, you know the me factor light if you if you would um, and that is my free giveaway to your listeners today so if they okay. go to my website there's actually a button that says free audio download or you can go to the very top of the web website and it's in the in the navigation and it says, it says giveaway free giveaway and they click on that and that's 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 the free gift for all the folks on the on the list on the call awesome. today and if you're listening, uh, whatever platform you're on, we'll make sure that in the show notes the link is there, and it's ask Dr. Gantz, drgantz.com, and then we'll make sure that the gift link is in there. So, uh, Dr. Gantz, when we want to wrap up here, and we're just kind of distilling down beyond everything that you've said, what's one or two tidbits of wisdom that you would like to share with the listeners? Uh, that you haven't shared up to this point as a takeaway for them to just kind of take their life to the next level? Yeah, so I think the first one I would say is um, I remind myself all the time that the better I feel, the better I do. The better I feel, the better I do. Mm. So the better you feel, the better you do. Um, and you owe it to yourself and everyone and everything that you care about to feel good because then you're going to be your best. So that's, 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 um, the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that, um, we, we are able to do a lot of stuff. Well, if we remember to look after ourselves. So, uh, in a sense, our biggest task to be healthy, balanced, productive, kind, successful people is to manage our state, manage our own state. Um, I was listening mm-hmm. to, I was watching this this, this movie. I just called. Uh, many people might have heard of it as old movie. Um, Stuart Smalley saves his family. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an SNL production, and at the end of, at the end of the movie, um, the main character, who's this kind of self help guru kind of guy, he says, you know, at the end, I've kind of I've finally figured it out. It's easier for me to put on a pair of slippers than it is for me to try to carpet the whole world. And I said, that's just brilliant, right? We have a responsibility to look after ourselves and to make sure we're good. And that way we don't feel like we have to carpet over everybody else to make sure that we <laughs> we are comfortable in the world when we can just you know, take the responsibility of looking after ourselves. Mm. Well, on that note, thank you for taking the time and hanging out with us here on SOS. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Ken. This is, this is awesome. Well, it was great, and you are welcome. Well, SOS listeners, you know, go and start thinking about, get his book, you know, The Me Factor, and take care of yourself, and not from a self-centered point of view, but from a self-honoring point of view, so that you can bring your best, if it's physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, financial, social, or purpose, all the items that Dr. Gantz mentioned. And as always, we thank you for sharing your most valuable commodity with us, and that is your time. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.